0: Welcome to Secrets to Selling Your Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners looking to unlock the secrets behind successful business transitions. Join our host, Jacob Koenig, a partner at Woodbridge International, as he gives you the knowledge to navigate complexities, embrace strategic shifts, and prepare you to sell your business with no regrets. At Woodbridge, we know how to give you the wisdom to achieve your ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Jacob Koenig.
1: All right, welcome to the show today. Chad Silverstein, he's a visionary and serial entrepreneur. We started and sold multiple companies. Chad, thanks for joining us here. Thank you. you. It's good to be here. Excellent. So look, I I think we want to start off and just the listeners want to hear a bit about your entrepreneurial journey from founding Choice Recovery to founding Restart to selling both companies. What drove you to start your first company and, and how did you evolve over the years? Sure. So um, I
0: was blessed to have an opportunity to start a company when I was in college. It uh, kind of flowed from a, a college uh, summer job that I had with a friend's father at a collection agency in Cleveland, Ohio. And when I went back my senior year to Ohio State, he offered me the opportunity to start a new company with him. And I just piled the pavement and I was going door to door, going to doctor's offices in Columbus, Ohio and getting as many clients as I could. And about six months in, I had about 100 clients and it just took off from there. And upon graduating, we just grew and it was uh, a real success story. I was partners with him for about 15 years and I bought his portion of the business in 2013. So, he was running a company in Cleveland. I was running the company in Columbus and uh, it was great. It was an incredible collaboration and I had an amazing mentor to uh, kind of teach me everything I needed to know about business and just the industry. It was a tough industry to be in business in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. I uh, and yeah, we had a work cut out for us, but we honored the payment, grew the business, and thank God, it was a real
1: success story for us. And you ran Restart at the same time? You were running both simultaneously? How, how did that work?
0: No. So funny, Restart started in 2013. Restart is a career development platform, and it really stemmed from just kind of writing out a big dream for my business, where I wanted to go with the business. It was, it was connecting people, but the story goes that I had a mission statement for all my employees, and nobody knew what it was, and I was upset, and then I got called out, and I didn't even know what it was, and I wrote it. He's <laughs> so. I had a leadership coach and he had me get busy on what my vision was. And I, I wanted to change the perception of collections. I thought the negative stereotype that collection agencies have didn't seem fair. It didn't seem right to have to feel like ashamed of like telling people what we did and we were doing it the right way. And so we came up with this idea to help people get jobs who got put in collections so that they can get back on their feet, pay their bills and be financially secure. Mm. And we didn't realize it at the time, but it was a real, it was a real difference maker for us because. It literally transformed our company and uh, so no it didn't start for about 15 years into the business so we were always just being nice to people right. and i think over time you have to be nice to people because yeah. the industry is plagued with lawsuits And yeah, we just started helping people get uh, jobs and it just took off. And the employees rallied behind it. It helped our culture. It helped us attract new employees. And it really strengthened everything about our company. It it was adding value that I never really imagined it would do. But from the client perspective and from the employee's perspective and from just the value of our business, because it was generating so much traction for us, it just added so many variables that, that we just, other companies had a hard time competing with because clients loved it and everyone really wanted to be part of it. So it was just a feel good social impact initiative that um, really took off. And when COVID hit, Mm. I built um, an app using no-code technology because the process to get a job today is just brutal. People don't know what they're doing. And a lot of times people find themselves in that position and it's- you know sometimes either due to sudden job loss or because of a financial hardship they didn't see themselves going getting there and we realized people just need help and I think the employers have the upper hand and so we wanted to give um, an empower job seeker so we built technology we have live career advisors who will apply for jobs for job seekers and we have AI technology that will build people's resumes and match it to the job descriptions to try to beat the applicant tracking systems that uh, employers are using so we really really just try to make something great we do it for free we do it for free for the the job seekers, and it was a real game changer. I think at the time when I sold my company, I think Trust Recovery, we helped thousands of people, but I think we had over a thousand people where we helped them successfully, you know, obtain a new position. And uh, we never said we got people jobs because we can't. Just the model of helping people and really just kind of that feel good. You know, I think people were shocked when they heard their question and she wanted to help them.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, I, I think it it speaks to the fact that uh, that your employees, you know, you focused on their well being and you focused on. You know, how how can we add value in people's lives? In fact, you were recognized as a, a top workplace winner, the the number one company to work uh in, in your area. So in your opinion, what were the the factors behind creating such uh exceptional company culture and, and how does yeah. that impact the success of your business?
0: Yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, I my I never went to business school. So my thing was I just tried to create the type of environment that I wanted to work in. Mm-hmm. I was really big into personal and professional development opportunities. So I, I participated in lots of leadership. Programs. I was in EO and YPO. I was, I hired my own company through Built the Lead, a, a personal coach for me that ended up coaching my entire company. I was in strategic coach with Dan Sullivan. I mean, I really, we really worked within programs. We used EOS to help run our company. And I really empowered the employees. I mean, I started off hiring all entry level folks. And the goal was to build people into leaders because I didn't, I didn't have the deep pockets when we first started to hire high level hired guns. And to be honest, my experience with high, high tired guns it's tough because they have to unlearn what they've learned. And a lot of times what they've learned, I didn't like. And I did things very differently. So, I tried to always kind of look at what everyone else was doing and do it different. And it worked, especially yeah, it's in our right. coaching,
1: right? You know, building people up. It's really- it really was. It really was. And I was
0: being built up by a coach. So, I was, I was, the, I was the target yeah. and I was making probably the most mistakes of anyone in the company. And so, just by leading by example and really hiring the right people, yeah. firing people fast if they're not the right person and really developing Helping the team and giving them opportunities to develop themselves so that, you know, people want to grow. People want to, they want they want to know where they can go. And typically most people don't feel like they can get that at a collection agency. So when they came into my culture and they realized they can get that and they saw how much I cared, I really just I was blessed. I had amazing people around me that were with me for a really long time. And in our industry, the retention was tough and people were always turning over. So it was again, I was blessed to have people 10, 15, 20 years with me. And it just so happened when I when I went to go sell the company, that was that was a Big value driver for us for companies that were looking at us was the leadership team and the culture. And again, I never even thought about that because I wasn't thinking about selling for such a long time. But I'm sure glad I I invested so heavily into that and that area of the
1: business because it really did make a big difference. I really like that. You know, the fact that you were yourself being coached makes it much, you know, allows you to connect more with with your employees and and to really dive into the coaching of, of the staff. Again, building it up for. Um, when look, this is, this is the secrets to selling your business podcast. So we, we do have to, uh, talk specifically about that process. And, and frankly, you know, buyers want to see that as you, as you pointed out, having leadership, that next generation ready to go and, and, uh, you know, coachable as one thing, but also. You know, uh, in a position to take over after you've transitioned away, uh, that absolutely adds value. And so, it's a big deal. It was a big deal, and I think um, you know, it was it was a hard
0: exit for me. Yeah, Very close to my company. I didn't see myself wanting to do this. It was a good timing for me, and it came out of, it came out of left field. I had left mm-hmm. the day to day operations probably a few years. Prior to selling, I was working in the other company, and I hired some people that would come in and 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 really took over the operations of the company, and they did a good job. And I think, you know, I think people had really built a home for themselves. So when I went to go sell and, and I talked to them about it, it was a very hard conversation. And of course, the buyers were really happy at what we had built because they were inheriting this incredible team that had been coached and is coachable. And it really did come down to to, to attracting and building the right people who could um, who can grow with your company. You know, I have plenty of leaders who. who couldn't grow and they weren't heavily invested in our leadership development program and we passed them up. And And it was unfortunate that I had to make changes because we wanted them to come with us. But when you've got a team that's growing and you had a couple of people that are not, it creates this gap and they, we outgrow them. In fact, it even happened in my own position where I outgrew myself. We had used EOS, we broke through some ceilings and we were doing incredible as a company. And when you break through those ceilings, they create complexities for your company that sometimes you can't see coming. And I didn't have the skills personally in the operation of the business to be able to do it and I recognized it quick and I realized I need someone else to come in and help me with that and as a visionary you know I operated the company for 20 22 years And I needed, I needed someone who had the experience who can really, you know, compartmentalize the business, automate a lot of things in the business that had to be automated, but then also put processes in place so that when I go to sell the company, you know, it's not a mess. And I think a lot of, a lot of companies will have problems with that when they go to sell because people will come in and look and see what they have and it's just chaos. And as a visionary, I created plenty of chaos.
1: (laughs) I mean, were you thinking already about Potentially selling the company at that point was it was it a a long term vision to get to a point of salability or or what motivated you when you made the decision to sell?
0: Yeah, so I really did not see myself selling the company for quite some time, but um I had gone into a year end meeting with my leadership team, and I had heard some things and saw some things that put up some warning signs for me internally. My culture was changing; we were getting larger. Once you hit around 100 people, you start to lose a little bit of that control and. I wasn't there, and so you know my flavor that I had put on the company for two decades wasn't there, and I got worried about that. That made me a little little sketchy, and I knew that in order to take the company to that next level, you're gonna have to lose even more of that that friendly culture that I had built. So I was a little worried about that. But then I also saw in the industry things changing, and in business in general, things have just changed. There is a mindset that has changed from the employees' perspective. There is the technology that's changing very quickly that companies can hardly even keep up with. Yeah. And in my business, we were just playing. With lawsuits and regulations and, and certain laws that had not been updated in so long, but very consumer friendly, which I didn't mind because we were consumer friendly, but it almost made it impossible to be in business. They made it so tough for us. So we saw a lot of consolidation happening where a lot of the big giants were coming in and this is happening in healthcare, it's happening in technology, it's happening in a lot of industries. And I just kind of saw the writing on the wall and I just didn't feel good about it. And I decided I'm gonna pull the trigger now. And I I I put that feeler out there. I hired a broker. Yep to go sell the company and we put out that feeler and uh, yeah we just took the process from there I wasn't familiar with the process so I learned a lot real quick
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah I mean I think the shifting macro landscape you know that's that's a very common um, reason that we hear from business owners who, who come to us uh, at Woodbridge and and wanting to sell their companies yeah uh, how, how long did it take from the time that you engaged uh, your broker to the time that you actually finalized and, and got the the money wired to your account. So you know it's interesting. I thought it was going to happen really quick. Yeah. I I had no doubt. Now I sold the industry time. I sold in
0: two thousand twenty two. And in my industry there had not been many acquisitions. It was coming up tail end of, of of COVID. And our industry took a big hit um, just because think about how many people lost their jobs and just the financial industry in itself was just taking a hit. I had made the decision um, right around New Year's Eve um, at the beginning of 2022, I ended up selling in October. So it was a 10-month process, but I also had my first deal uh, with an LOI, a letter of intent signed, and that fell through. And I started to see buyers kind of dropping off. And then I took matters into my own hands and I reached out to one of the ones that had put in kind of a, a bid for us and... And I worked out kind of a, a secondary deal with somebody and that was the one that actually closed. So I think we had the, the first one, an LLI in hand, probably six, seven months in, but then because that one fell through and then I went to the next one, it was about a ten month process and it was a brutal process. It's not easy. I mean, I think you know, they really need to do their due diligence when they're gonna go buy
1: a company, which now I understand, but I didn't I didn't have the preparation that I think I wish I would have had. That's really interesting that, that you actually yourself went over and, and discussed or at least revitalized this bid that we're seeing and it was sitting out there. What was the first LOI to uh, to break apart, if you don't mind my asking? Sure. So, um, you know, I think I learned a great deal about EBITDA when
0: I first uh, went into this. And again, not going to business school and understanding it, but knowing enough to be dangerous and knowing enough how to research things on YouTube, I learned what I needed to learn really quickly. And um, when we were doing all of our financial work and getting preparation for us to kind of go through the due diligence process, and I realized how much emphasis is put on EBITDA and, and just how it becomes the only thing and the only focus at one point in the process. And as a visionary and anyone who's trying to sell their business, when you have differentiators, you want to make a big deal of those differentiators because you know you're selling those differentiators. And if you poured your heart and soul into those, you want to make sure that people are, are making sure that they're highlighted in a way that adds the value that you think it does. And when you're being told it doesn't matter because all they care about is that EBITDA,
1: it's a it's a tough process. It's really interesting too, because I think there's a uh, a vision, a view of of our industry, the M and A advisory world, where oftentimes uh, brokers come in, they. Hook up the buyer and seller and then they kind of step back. Yeah. You know, we at Woodbridge we really pride ourselves on making sure that we're advocating for you and and leading to close, driving to close from the the moment that we sign an LOI, we we put a, a timeline in place and we stick to that timeline. You know, I think that's something that often comes in into play. Time kills deals, is is what we like to say. Yeah. But again, having those points um, emphasized, you know, we, we start all of our processes with a, um, a two day full day management meeting, uh, training where we go through, we, we discuss what are the key elements? What are those, those points about your company that really do differentiate you from others in your space? Getting that front and center from the start as we market, as we go out and, and solicit bids, you know, that I think also is a way to, to make that uh, that whole process a lot smoother, a lot quicker, um, and and get to the the right buyer um, right away. So
0: yeah, like you, you got you guys have a tough job because my thinking is going through it as the buy as the seller. Yeah. I'm saying how in the world is a broker going to be able to tell my story? And no one's going to be able to tell my story the way I can tell it. I mean, I built my company and I was the sales guy. I would think that you got two perspectives from 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 the from the broker's position from your position, which is going to be boy, we wish we could have the owner be out front. But the problem is you don't want Them to blow up the deal. You don't want them to make big mistakes. So I can understand that concern right off the bat. But then it's also how do we tell his story for them? So, one thing I learned early on, especially when they made the the, basically the flyer that would tell people about my company to teaser and then also. The, the 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 more expanded edition. I I hated that. I thought, you know, you're gonna to try to package up my company in a PDF. I go, you can't do it. So I actually and again I, I tend to be an outlier and a lot of things I do. And so I told my broker I said, look, just give me a shot to let me do this. So I put together and have another company that I'm a partner in called Playbook, which is an LMS software. And it's a way to just basically Put all of your marketing assets and everything about your company inside a program that allows people to log in and see. It's like your vault. It's your it's your vault and it's where. I, so I wanted to give people that because I was able to talk, share, right. give videos, and really give people an idea of what they're buying. And I think a PDF can't do that. I mean, yes, it can tell you the but
1: nuts, nuts and bolts, and your numbers. I mean, we have every every sim that we do. We have a uh, a marketing video. So we yeah, yeah, absolutely believe that it's one hundred percent true. That a. Uh, uh, A picture tells a thousand words. A video tells a million words. (laughs) So,
0: and it was incredible. You know that, and letting people have that information was 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 great. Yeah, and I felt comfortable because I was able to tell my story and share why I felt the value was the value and and what made us so valuable. And uh, yeah, I think and I think the buyer they really appreciated it because they had told us they would never seen anything like that before, and everything was there for them from the financial information they needed, the bios on the team, the marketing videos, the sales, the, the deliverables. Everything was there, and I ended up using that as part of the due diligence process where then when they needed something i could just upload it in and it was there for them so it was really cool so it it made things very seamless and it really helped the process kind of move
1: along faster excellent yeah now you know looking back uh in a a post sale life that you're living now, you know yes. what's what's the focus uh, for Chad Silverstein at this point? Where where is your energy uh, being directed? Yeah, so I have to say,
0: 25 years, I I was a little burnt out. You know, I think um, things have changed so much in businesses in general, and I think when um, when everything came out with AI and all the technology, I was able to integrate a lot of that in what we were doing with restarts. So I ended up selling restarts to one of my clients, and I wanted to just kind of take a break. I had I haven't had a break in, in quite a long time and I've worked really, really hard. And so I really am, am into sharing and teaching and coaching. And I joined a team um, as an editor- editorial journalist with uh, a magazine called Authority Magazine. And I'm getting to interview other CEOs and other entrepreneurs and be able to kind of grab those insights, those those little things that make a difference in business and how business is changing so much to help Build the next generation of leaders, striving entrepreneurs, people who are starting out. I mean, there's so much. There's so much that I I love to share that I wish I would have known when I first started. And you know, and something like what we're talking about today, to sell your business. You know, a lot of people may not be in the business right now of thinking about selling their business, but there's so much they could be doing today, so that one day when you decide, you could be so. Ahead of the game. And I wish I would have known that. I wish, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on, on, on preparing for your business down the road. And I think, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think people are learning to look, look to learn. I think today, you know, college is just, um, It's a different world right now and self education, especially for entrepreneurs. There's so much value in so many creators doing so many incredible things and they're giving it away for free on the internet. And I'm, I'm just joining that, that community of just kind of giving value. And I think, uh, I think personal branding and I think a lot of, a lot of networking and building great collaborations with people is going to definitely be where, um, some, Big time value for people in business is going to be in the
1: future, so I'm, I'm really trying to stay ahead of that as well. Any specific advice to uh, to our our listeners, especially the business owners uh, who who might be uh, looking for for some golden nuggets? <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I think most people don't want to hear it, but I'm a big believer that the biggest problem in every company is the person at the top. And I think uh, I was no exception to that. And you just have to be humble enough to be able to look at yourself instead of trying to fix people on your team. And typically the biggest problems are caused by leaders not working on themselves or not addressing problems with other people because they're scared or just want to avoid conflict. So I think you always have to be getting better. And I spent a tremendous amount of money on programs that were designed for entrepreneurs or leaders. And when I look back, I mean, I started doing it with Dale Carnegie organization when I was right out of college. And then throughout my entire, you know, 25 years, I was always investing in something. And when I look back and I see the trajectory of like all the results, they all are like parallel with my growth as I grew and as I grew as a leader, my company was growing and I was getting the kind of People on my team that I deserve because I was getting stronger. And I think that was a real eye opener for me because if I wanted better people, that means I have to get better. And so I really am always focused on just looking inward and saying, okay, what, what can I do to close any gaps that I've got right now? And I get a lot of feedback from people that I trust. And, you know, everyone's a work in progress. You got to can never stop working
1: on yourself. So that would be my advice. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's what we always like to emphasize is level five leadership. You know, the the concept of, of humility as a leader, it might strike some as strange, but it's absolutely crucial to know, you know, where your weakness is, where you can be improved and uh, and take the ego out, you know, especially when, when business owners are coming to us to sell their companies and they keep talking about, well, I, I'm so crucial for this and I'm crucial for that. That's not what a buyer wants to hear. <laughs> right. If you want to step away and transition out of the company, then you have to show that the company can run without you. So I think and I think
0: that was a, that was a real powerful thing for me to look back on now is that when I when I left my company, I was being told by everybody in my network and all the entrepreneurs I got advice from them. You know, they're gonna want you to stay. You're the face of the company. You're the guy who built it from their apartment. And when I sold, I didn't have to even have a conversation, not one conversation. I didn't get one phone call from them. And it really showed me the power behind what we had built. The team was so good that they just, I was, I was replaceable. And that, that, that to me is a sign of a great leader. When you can train leaders to be leaders and they're running the show and you're not so needed, that's a great sign, even though that's hard for a leader. But that was a really cool thing for me to kind of look back at and see. And I, and I'd say the other, other thing is, you know, from a leadership perspective is you have, you actually have to care and you have to care a lot about other people's success. And I think everyone's so focused today with growing their business and making money. And it's a a rat race. It never ends. I mean, you want to have a $10 million company, a $20 million company? That's great. As soon as you get there, you're going to be saying 40 and 80. You're you're always going to want more. The clients are going to want you to do more. Your employees are going to want you to do more. The investors are going to want you to do more. Everyone wants you to do more. So that to me is a result. And it's a result of you doing really good work and providing incredible value for people. And there is no substitute for Caring about the people that you're working with, and some leaders do a great job with that, and some leaders don't. I, you know, I always say the difference between a great leader and, and someone who's exceptional is you'll have a great leader will make their team a priority, yeah. but the exceptional leaders make them the priority, and so there's no substitute for it, and at the expense sometimes of the company because they care so much, they make sure that that team. It doesn't mean they don't make hard decisions, and it doesn't mean that they don't do things that may hurt the employees, but. They'll be open and transparent and they'll tell them why, they'll communicate. Whereas someone who just makes them a priority, yeah, they show them they're important. But when push comes to shove, they're going to make decisions that kind of trump them. And I think employees can feel that. They know that. So when employees have an exceptional leader, they'll run through walls for that person. And thank God I had I had that. And it's hard not to still have it. <laughs> I realized how long it took to build something that special, but I look back now and I still keep in touch with a lot of the individuals that I was able to be blessed to work with and it truly was something special. I mean, it's, if you can have that, and you can give that to people. You're blessed. You really are. So it's an incredible thing. It's few. It's something that
1: few companies will ever taste. It's great to look back and, and be grateful. You know. Yeah. No doubt. That's the dream that all all business owners have when they're when they're looking to sell their companies. So. Yeah. For sure. For sure. God, look, that was that was all I had prepared to ask you here. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience?
0: No. I'm just uh, I'm just curious if you could tell me. You know, as someone who's who's starting businesses and as a visionary, I've always got a thousand ideas. If someone is, you know, planning on starting a business, what would you say is the most important thing that, like, someone like me should be thinking about if I want to sell the company down the road? At the beginning, and you know, I, I can always say during the, the journey, I've got plenty to do from collecting things for due diligence purposes and, and you know, making sure that I'm adding the value that I need that a prospective buyer will look like. But when you look at like startup companies, is there anything that you can think of that maybe you can give, you know, someone like me advice about what I should be thinking about when I start a company?
1: Look, I think uh, you, you've hit a lot of the points already here, having the, the books in order, having all of uh, the numbers transparent and uh, and and be able to go back in time and, and look at how things have moved over time, um, having the right people, having the right culture, the right leadership in place, being able to as we've already discussed here, being able to step back and, and the company can still run without, without the, the, the owner. Um, that is absolutely crucial. I'd say from the outset, you know, it's something actually we've had conversations in, uh, in, in a, f- a few of our, my previous, um, podcasts with leaders who've said to keep the end in mind, you know, it's, it's having that vision of eventually I'm going to sell this company. So, um, what can I do now to, to put in place the, the aspects that are going to make it Easy to go through diligence, right? So again, being able to look at at very specific, granular level how are how are the numbers being viewed? How are your KPIs, um, you know, being tracked? Uh, to to have those metrics in place right. from the outset is just it's going to be hugely valuable when you get to the table and, and a buyer is trying to understand how your company operates, right. uh, and and then being able to go on top of the numbers to say these are the nuances. These are the individual aspects of my company that are differentiated versus others. To be able to put that into as few words as possible um, and, and really express those thoughts cleanly, simply, that goes a long way. I'm curious. Yeah, uh, when it comes to the
0: value of a company and multiples, yeah. When you look at like technology today, is there like an is there like an average? Is there a number that people in your industry just know that when you have a technology company that has recurring revenue, you can expect to be between a range of like is Is there one that's out there? It's, it's
1: really more of an art than a science, uh, in any case. But I would say it really depends on are your contracts long term? You know, are you, are you looking, uh, year to year or, or how is the, the structure, uh, of the organization? Um, there's, there's so many variables. I would say we are definitely seeing a a little bit. Of um, uh, multiple compression as well, with interest rates going higher, it hasn't impacted the lower middle market as much as it's impacted some of the, the larger companies. But it is it is something that's there to some degree. But you know, again, when you find a motivated buyer, someone. Has a strategic reason for why they need your company. This stuff all fades into the background. You know, that's what we do is we try to go out and find as many potential buyers as possible so that we're running as, uh, aggressive an auction as we can. And that's going to uncover those, uh, those buyers who again, the, the, the perfect fit. That's what's going to really drive the multiple. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. All right. Great. Sounds good. Appreciate the time. Yeah. Chad, appreciate it as well. Chad Silverstein. Thanks so much for, for joining our show. Yeah, thank you for making me part of it.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Secrets to Selling Your Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners looking to unlock the secrets behind successful business transitions. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guest and their insights. If you like what
1: you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.